family. Good to see all of you here this morning. I, if you have not figured it out already, I'll let you know so that you can save your face a little bit. It's Father's Day, and I would encourage you, my wife hates it when I bring this up, that there's a, there's a universal law in this world when it comes to men and projects. And I've talked with many men, and they all seem to agree with me. Eric's at the front laughing. We will get, if there's a project around the house, right, if you're a man, you'll get that project to 80% and it's functional. And then you move on to another project. Am I right or wrong, guys? You know what would be perfect for Father's Day? The other 20%. All those projects that your dad has up to functionality in the house and up to 80%, finish them off for him. He'll love you. He'll probably love you anyway, but he'll love you more if you do that. But I want to say happy Father's Day to all you fathers and grandfathers that are out there. Uh, before we get into the lesson, just some quick reminders of some things that are going on at Boulevard and the things that we have planned. I noticed on the back there's a life group sign-up sheet, and it's woefully lacking with names. I'm assuming then that most of us don't want to participate in life groups. So we'll just cancel it. No. Sign up for Life Group. If you guys want to participate, the elders are encouraging you to do so. This is an opportunity for us to get to know each other a little better in a different setting than here at the building. There will be a group that meets at the building, and so we're just going to operate off of the assumption that if your name isn't on that sheet, you're just planning on being here at the building at 6 o'clock for those times of Life Group. Uh, and that may be make the group a little bit larger than normal, but that's okay. But again, if you're wanting to participate, and this is going to be a good thing, guys. This is going to be a really good thing. Sign up, put your name on the sheet. Yeah, I encourage everybody to do that. Want to remind everybody, singing tonight at 6 p.m. Okay, I just got the nod. Yes, we are still on track for that. Yeah, so I encourage you to be here at 6. We'll spend an hour in song, worshiping the Father. Looking forward to that time with you. And I know that I've been dropping hints. It's in your joie de vivre this week. But want to encourage you. Sunday evenings in July and August are going to follow a different format. And if you have small children, you need to be here for that. We're going to have a little bit of fun with the kids, helping them. Well, they're going to actually be helping me teach the lesson because I've heard the comments and I know I need a lot of help. But we're going to change up that format a little bit. And Bud's been working with our youth. So for July 4th, they're going to be leading that time together on that Sunday night, so I want to encourage everybody to be here. I'm going to move that a little bit. All right, if I was to ask you to make a list of things that are lacking in this world, what would be on your list? Some of you are already laughing. Common sense is probably on that list. Yep, there, there go the heads. Things that, that, were, that are just missing in the world at large. What about the Beatles? Would you have put the Beatles on that list? I don't think there's enough Beatles in the world right now. I'm talking about the band, not the bug. Not the bug, bud. The band. What about gumption? Would gumption be on your list of things that are lacking or missing in this world? Now, I think that if we were to sit down and actually make a list of things that we think are lacking or missing in this world, we could probably make a long list of everything that we think is missing. But I'm going to submit to you this morning, and Chris kind of dealt with it in his zombification of the Lowe's story, which I thought was awesome. 
is that one of the greatest things that is lacking, maybe the biggest thing that is lacking in this world is hope. And I'm not talking about some immature, childlike, boy, I hope I have a Ferrari waiting in my, my driveway when I get home from church this morning type of hope. That's just silly hope, all right? In fact, I would submit to you that that's not even really hope, and we'll deal with that a little bit later. But we think of it, when, when I, every time I say hope this morning, and I'm planning on saying it a lot, every time we hear the word hope, anytime we try to apply it to ourselves, we need to come to it with the understanding that hope is something that guides our thoughts and behaviors because of a future expectation. We think of hope as something that is future tense, and that's true. But what we're going to look at this morning is that, yes, it's going to be future tense, but it's also meant to be lived in the present. It's not something that we put off for tomorrow, but actually live it today. And the reason we live it today is because we are certain of it and we are confident in it. Does that make sense? That's what hope is meant to be. And that's what hope is meant to do. And we actually see this in Mark chapter 2. And I appreciate you guys reading ahead. And I know you are because at least one or two of you have already said, well, that's not in Mark chapter 2 this week when I've talked about what we were going to talk about this morning. I'd encourage you to read Mark 3. Lord willing, we'll deal with that time in the scriptures there next week. But we see that actually in operation in Mark chapter 2, right? But we look at it from the beginning of the chapter where you've got the four friends who bring their paralytic friend to Jesus. Why did those four guys do that? Faith, right, is what Jesus says because of their faith. This man is healed, but would they have brought him if they didn't have any kind of hope that Jesus could cure what was wrong with their friend? I don't think they would have. I think that if Jesus was just some other rabbi on the scene and he was pretty cool and he could do a couple of miracles, but not, he's not 100%, they're not going to bring that man to him. They're not going to bust open a house and drop him down through the roof if there's no hope. Or if Jesus, when Jesus is sitting at Matthew's house, right? And... and all these tax gatherers and sinners are there with Jesus. Would they have come to Jesus if they didn't have a hope that Jesus could provide for them something that no one else could provide? I think that Matthew's house would have been pretty empty, except maybe for the Pharisees hanging outside the windows looking in so they could spy on Jesus. That we see in Mark chapter 2 Jesus being presented as the source of hope, a practitioner of hope because these people could find in Jesus something that they could not find anywhere else. And we need to come to an understanding this morning that the world that Jesus lived in is no different than the world that we find ourselves living in. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, there's some differences. We don't walk everywhere we go. Technologies have changed. But by and large, the world that we find ourselves living and operating in is the same world that Jesus found himself living and operating in, a world that is filled with hopelessness, a world that's broken because of that hopelessness. And it's in this broken world, this physically and spiritually broken world that we see Jesus working and operating. And it's in this state of brokenness there are these people that crave hope. They want it more than anything. And they're desperately looking for it. And this hope 
that they find in Jesus, this source of hope that they find in him is born out of why God sent him. And that's why he'll say in Mark chapter two and verse 17, while he is in Matthew's house and he's being questioned about why does he eat with tax gatherers and sinners? He'll say, it is not those who are healthy who need the physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. I came to be here for those who need healing, who need hope. The sick came to Jesus. The spiritually destitute came to Jesus because they knew that Jesus could provide for them what they needed. Hope cannot be found in hopelessness. I'll say it again just so we hear it one more time. Hope cannot be found in hopelessness. Now think about that for a second. If Jesus wasn't confident and certain in his mission, if he presented an attitude of hopelessness, would people have come to him? Would, would, would people have been interested in what he had to offer them? Go back to your reading in Isaiah 61 real quick. Let's look at it one more time. Actually, we're going to look at it more than once, but... Look at what Isaiah says here. Now, understand, as we read through this, I want us to approach this from the perspective that words only go so far. Okay? Words will only go so far. There has to be action that's behind the words if you're working in a world without hope. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. <coughs> so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be Glorified. Now, this is the passage, guys, that when Jesus is in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, yeah, verse 18, around in that section of Luke chapter 4, this is the passage, this is the scroll that is handed to him when he's in the synagogue. He reads this out loud in the synagogue. He then sits down because they did things differently back then. Back then, if you were bringing an exposition on the scriptures, you sat and you stood while you were reading. So it would be a little bit different than how we do things here. But then he sits down and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And many will point to that time as that's the beginning of what we would refer to as Jesus's public ministries. He's going to go forward uh, and acting on these things. But understand that anytime we see Jesus moving and acting, anytime we see him actually teaching, he's, <coughs> excuse me, he's not just talking. Because talk is cheap. And if he's going to proclaim this kind of hope to people, he's going to proclaim the fulfillment of this scripture in Isaiah in public, then he's going to act. His behaviors are going to back up everything that we see happening in Isaiah 61. His reputation is going to be based off of that. 
And that reputation is going to be developed not in just what he says, but as we see it as just a natural process of the actions in his life. Jesus will say it, but I'm convinced Jesus actually believes it. And when we look at Mark 2, we see Jesus blazing that trail for us to follow. He's a practitioner of hope. He's, he's a provider of hope to the people that he comes into contact with. And he looks behind him and he says, you guys following me, right? You're on that trail, right? You're not somewhere off in the bushes. But you're actually following me in the way that I deal, in a, as I show you how I deal with people. That's why I think Peter will say in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, he'll say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a, if this isn't underlined in your Bibles, underline it, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. I want us to pay close attention to the language that Peter is using, okay? He did not say, as he's writing this letter out, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a dead hope. That we haven't been born again into some dead, lifeless thing. That we have been raised from the dead because we are alive and we live that hope. It's alive. It's active. Which I guess begs the question, how many of us are breathing? What's so funny? Are you not breathing? I'm assuming you are because she's like, it's like she's hyperventilating over here. Raise your hand. How many of us are breathing? I just want to make sure. We do know that that's a sign of life, right? That, that if, if, if somebody comes across and you're on, you get in a car wreck and you're sprawled out on the middle of the road and they can't figure out if you're alive or dead, what are they going to check for? Pulse and breathing. So you have all just admitted that you are alive. How many of us are going to eat lunch today? Well, if you just hurry up and get the lesson done, Jeremy, we get lunch a little sooner. <laughs> Living things eat. Did you know that? Living things breathe. Living things do. And that's the hope that Jesus is leading us on. This hope that Jesus gave us doesn't, doesn't make us just sit back and be a blob and do nothing. This hope guides us. It motivates us. And our faith leads us in it. It's meant to be lived. And not only is it meant to be lived, it's meant to be seen. Do people see hope in us? And here's the funny thing about hope. It's actually not based on external circumstances. Do you know that our hope isn't based on the next hurricane? Or the past hurricane? 
or the 15 inches of rain that we get in four hours or whatever natural disaster that will come upon us next or any other kind of difficulty that's out there that our hope actually isn't based on those things. So real quick, how many of us walked around like we were weaned on a pickle after the last hurricane? Acting like we had no hope. How many of us acted like we had no hope when Clement was threatening? That's dead. Jesus calls us, he leads us to something better. And, and, and understand, I'm not talking about blind optimism here, okay? You know what blind optimism is, right? Blind, blind optimism is, is, is kind of like our picture that's up on the screen, but this is, this is just kind of like this naive view and not really looking at the world the way that we need to be looking at the world and not looking at our lives the way that, that we oftentimes find ourselves looking at, at, at our lives. You know, it, you guys have heard that phrase, well, every cloud has a silver lining. No, it doesn't. Okay, <laughs> not always. There may be challenges that the Lord puts there, for that specific purpose. And maybe you want to view that as a silver lining. I'm not one of those guys. And oftentimes I think we approach life as just how, you know, through mathematical probabilities and possibilities. And that's how we view our hope, right? I'm going to ask some questions to you. These are pretty simple questions. I want you to, in your mind, you don't have to answer out loud, but gauge it on a scale of one to 10. One being this will never happen in a billion, gajillion years. And 10 will be it's happening right now on how certain you are, okay? Here's your first question, or first statement. Remember, one through 10, how certain you are. In the next six months, cars with an internal combustion engine will no longer be the most popular vehicle on the road. Okay, all right, that one may have been a little too difficult. Here's the second one. In the next five years, deceptive advertisements will no longer exist. What? Okay, how about this one? Every porn publisher will go out of business by the end of the year because mankind will have gotten their lust under control. Why do we laugh at those? Because whether you realize it or not, those are mathematical probabilities. It is possible that those things could happen. You know why we laugh? You know why we, we hear statements like that and go, <laughs> no, because we understand what the reality of the world is. Well, guys, the biggest reality of the world is that there's a lack of hope. And as certain as we were on those three statements that I just asked you to gauge what the certainty is on those, how certain are we, how confident are we in the hope that we have and that we carry with us in our lives? How visible is it? Do people actually see it? Because that is the true reality. That our lives and our behaviors are not based on some slim chance of something happening, but on the certainty of it. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, therefore we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. 
For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look at the things which are not seen, but at the excuse me, which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. And we're called to carry this hope into a world of hopelessness. Following the path that Jesus cut for us, shining as beacons of light and hope in the community around us. Jesus' statement in Mark chapter 2 and verse 17 is just as true today as it was when he spoke it in Matthew's house. And so now we find ourselves in the position as agents of the physician, bringing hope to the hopeless so that God through his son can mend the broken, bring freedom to the captive. Are we actually living the life of hope? Acts chapter, or excuse me, Isaiah 61. I'll read it again. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now, Jesus will be the ultimate fulfillment of this, but don't you think that this could also apply to us as practitioners of hope in this world? We are his agents. We are his ambassadors to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he, that's God, may be glorified. So we'll close our time out with a question for those of us here operating and working as the body on Enterprise Boulevard. Is your life defined as one who has good news to share? Is your life defined as one who proclaims liberty and freedom? Is your life defined as one who brings that oil of gladness or gladness to a situation? Or are you like everybody else in the world and just downtrodden? Are you one whose life is defined as one of praise when things get difficult? Or are you like everybody else and you just faint? God sent his son to die for us so that we might be raised again to a living hope to be the oak of righteousness. That God would be glorified in what is seen in us. And what is seen in us is not us, it's Jesus. He is the true, <coughs> excuse me, source of hope. And we spread that hope through the lives that we live. Who wants hope? I want it. I crave it. You know that I'm no different than anybody else that we're going to come into contact with. People crave it. They need it. 
you may find yourself here this morning actually finding it for the first time, recognizing who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for humanity, ready to let him become, make the choice for him to become your master, making the confession of him as the son of God and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, added to the kingdom, added to this living hope, raised again to this living hope. When we stand and sing the song that Eric's got for us, that's the perfect time to let that be known. Or maybe you're a member of the body here and just really struggling and feeling like you're dead. That your hope is not alive and it's not, being, and it's not actually being lived out in the things that you're doing and you're ready for a change and wanting that change and understanding that God, through your repentance and confession, can bring about that change in your life. This is an opportunity for that change to happen. To no longer sit and just be comfortable being dead. God calls us to be alive. Live with us. Any other challenge you're facing, difficulties in family, community, whatever it is, you know that we've got a good set of elders here who would love to pray with you, would love to give counsel to you. Trust them in that. I do. Whatever we can do for you this morning, we want to encourage you. Come forward. Make that known while we stand and sing.